Hello and welcome to the brand new Haters TV podcast. It's been a long time coming since we could say those words. Uh, with myself, Charlie Willard, and my live stream companion as such, Nick Callow. How are we doing? Very well, thanks, Charlie. Great to see you in a studio, not in the stadium. Yeah, I know. It's very, very cool. I mean, it's much, the aircon's in this, it's much cooler. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's great to be here. We do apologise that we didn't have the, the, the live stream before, but we have got this video coming straight out for you today. And the first episode, and to kick off the first episode, someone very special, the Sky Sports reporter, Damesh Chef. Hello, Charlie. Oh, welcome, Damesh. Yeah, welcome. It's great to see you here. I mean, it's a real privilege and honour to have Damesh here because he really knows what he's talking about when it comes to football transfer news as well as football in general. And we're here with the football transfer window open. And in a way, what a better person to have into the studio. I've known Damesh for many, many years. I know he's a great guy, but... I think the main reason, we don't want to hear about whether you're a great guy and how you work, but people are <laughs> tuning in to see what's happening in the transfer window. Apparently there's some big news developing already today. Maybe you could yeah. tell us what you're going to be talking about. Yeah, here. I mean, we're less than a week in. Thanks for having me, by the way. Really, really appreciate it. Um, we're less than a week into this window and, I mean, there's all sorts going on at the moment. You know, we're talking about club record transfers. Who knows, maybe world record transfer fees. Who knows what, what could happen in the coming weeks. But with less than a week to go, the information I've got this morning is that Arsenal will go in with another bid for Declan Rice. We expect that bid to be £90 million. I know the, the, the information that you know we were getting that West Ham wouldn't be expect, accepting less than £100 million, maybe £120 million if it included a player. But if you look at it from Arsenal's perspective, £90 million can't be balked at because this would represent an obliteration of their club transfer record. It still stands, believe it or not, from 2019 with Nicolas Pepe. He's still an Arsenal player. Still on the books. He's still yeah. there. And he costs <laughs> £72 million. So this is £18 million more than um, what they paid for Pepe. Will it be accepted? It's unlikely it would be. Uh, but once that bid goes in, we'll have a clearer idea of what West Ham United will want to do because all of the noises we're getting is that Declan Rice does want to make that move to Arsenal and that can sometimes influence the price as well because if nobody else comes in with the bid, it's very difficult for a selling club to create, you know, to use some transfer parlance, a, a bidding war yeah. between clubs. So if a player is set on going to a club and the club through David Sullivan uh, straight after the Europa League uh, Europa Conference League final publicly stated that he's probably played his last game for the club those ingredients can sometimes work in the favour of the buying club so be interesting to see how that one transpires So as you say 90 minutes it's a, it's a club record bid it's a huge amount of pl- money for, for a very very good player probably worth it in the, in the current market there's, there's talk about Manchester City being interested Bayern Munich in, in Germany I mean, as I, you know, I'd like to think one of the reasons we've got here, because I know you very well, Damash, I know that when you tell us a story like this, we know it's well-sourced, it's accurate information. Perhaps you could tell people how a story like this would come about and where you would source your information and why our viewers know that Declan Rice's £90 million bid is a bang-on true story. Yeah, I mean, contrary to, to some opinions, I'm not, I'm not just reading Twitter <laughs> and, and, and sticking it out. Um, so look, there are lots of people... Lots of journalists, really good journalists, doing their own transfer coverage. And loads of people are going to have different contacts to be able to get different stories. So, look, 
the best piece of advice I was given when I got the reporter's job back in 2001. So I joined Sky in 98 and I got a reporter's job in 2001. And my boss at the time, Andy Cairns, and I know you know him very well. Legend, legend. Yeah, he um, walked past me one day when I was just on my, my computer minding my own business and he walked past and then he came back again and he goes, what's your contacts book like? That's how we talk, mate. That's don't know good, good impression. You don't know him, mate. It's a really good impression of him. And I said contacts book what what's that and he goes right every time you go on a shoot every time you do an interview I, I don't care who it is I want you to try and get a number from that shoot or from that interview and it's something that you know I've advised people to do because it's helped me so much in the past because you never know when you're going to need these numbers again right so predominantly agents are the the first port of call but we have a protocol at Sky and I think, you know, sometimes we get accused of being quite slow, but, you know, we'd rather be right and first. First and right is obviously the main, main, you know, aim, but right is always the main aim. So if I get a story from an agent, I can't just put that story out because I then call both clubs, not for permission to run the story, but just to give them the heads up, this is what we're planning to run. And I will give them like half an hour or 45 minutes to say, we're planning to run this at something o'clock. And is that just to build the relationship as well between the two clubs and maybe future contacts as well to make sure it's 100% right? Exactly. You, the thing with contacts is, the question I always ask myself is, what story is worth losing a contact over? or a relationship over and I can't normally think of one mm. because you never know when you're going to need all of these contacts again I mean just to give you an example about how important it is and how people can help you with contacts and you know when you speak to agents etc I remember once I was on my way into the office it was a Sunday morning and I got a call from the news desk just to say don't come into the office go straight to the this hotel in London uh, there's an interview set up with Jermaine Easter. Do you remember Jermaine Easter? Mm -hmm. I think he's a Welsh international. He played for Plymouth. So predominantly played a lot of his football in League One. And I thought to myself, right, I'm definitely going to get his number by the end of this shoot. So I turn up and he's with an agent. I'm like, I just got an agent. I was like, right, I'm going to have to wait until the agent is out of earshot so I can get Jermaine Easter's mm -hmm. number. So I finished the interview and the agent like looked like he was on the phone. I just said, oh, Jermaine, look, it's really good. Do you mind if I get your number? Just as I said that, the agent overheard and said, no, 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 you just deal through, <laughs> deal, deal with me. I'm like, right, okay. So I took the agent's number down. That was best part of 20 years ago. Still speak to that agent like every other week, nearly every week. He has been involved in so many transfers that have helped me out and he's so well sourced that he's normally my first point of contact if I need a number of another agent he will have someone who knows someone that's why it's always important I mean you know yeah, the deal you so know did how... he tell you about Declan Rice this morning no no that wasn't him <laughs> that wasn't him actually so um, yeah that that's how it works at Sky and that's how it works with me I try and use as many of the contacts that I've got but what you'll find is 
the longer you do it, the number of people you trust becomes, you know, five to 10. So there's, I have a list of every, all of my contacts and the first 10 are the ones that I will always call on a regular basis because they've got a lot of good players, but they've also got contacts with other people that I know they can get me in touch with. And as well, you, you said off camera, uh, I think it was a month and it would be 25 years at Sky, which is an incredible mm. achievement of such. And that's not me calling you both old, by the way, yeah. as well. Um, I joined when I was six. So. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm interested, and I'm sure a lot of the viewers are as well. What is the biggest transfer story that you've covered, your most memorable, your, your favourite one? Um, that's actually gone through as well because I'm sure there's a lot of stories where you see a lot of rumours coming through you've had lots of phone calls but the transfer's not not gone through quite as such Um, I mean there's been a few I mean a couple that stand out for me one is a really really old one actually and it kind of just like highlights the importance of making contacts with people Um, I, I was sent to a job in Carnaby Street uh, because Fulham were launching uh, their new kit. And one of the players launching the kit at the time was Louis Sahar. And the the advantage I had, there were three players who were going to be doing interviews and they were saying, right, you start there. And the head of comms was flitting between all three players. So just as I was finishing the Louis Sahar interview, she had gone off to speak to someone else and that took my opportunity Louis do you mind if I just get your number yeah no problem so I quickly took his number down and then within a few months um, the January transfer window was opening and there were huge rumours about uh, Louis Sahar going to Manchester United from Fulham and so I just tried my luck I just messaged him and amazingly he replied and we kept in touch throughout January until he made that move. And it was the point where he was giving me chapter and verse on what was going on. But within that, I just said, look, I know once you join, you're going to be under the control of United almost. And so they're going to control how many interviews you do, etc. Could I just get an agreement with you that you'll do something with me? And he says, yeah, look, you have my word. And so he joined and then... I messaged him and then he was like, you're going to have to speak to the club. So I was like, this is not going to happen. Mm. So I said to him, look, can you, I will get in touch with the club, but can you just tell them that I'm going to get in touch with them and that you're okay to do the interview? He goes, look, no problem. So I get in touch with United and I said, look, hopefully Louis spoken to you, but we'd had an agreement before he joined that he would do an interview. And they came back to me, go, yeah, Louis spoken to us. Um, Let's just get the first game out of the way. It was his debut against Southampton, if I remember correctly. It was a Saturday lunchtime kickoff. And he actually scored on his debut. And they said it will be on the Tuesday or the Wednesday after that game. And they kept their word. So I went up to Manchester, went to the training ground. And I got then. You know, you're still a little bit like, I just really hope this is going to happen. Because you was almost like, it's Louis Sahar, it's United. Mm. So I get there and at the reception they're expecting me. That's all good. And then Sahar comes out. Of, he's finished training, whatever. He comes out. And I go, hey, Louis. And he goes, 
oh gosh, yeah, yeah, it's the interview today, isn't it? I'm like, if he'd walked out the other way and gone home, it would have been... It would have been game over. So, thankfully, yeah. I so, think, you know, that, yeah. yeah. These are the things we often have to do with, deal with in all our sort of world, you know, work as journalists and sports journalists, people sort of arranging things, forgetting things. And it's until you've actually got that interview in the bag, recorded on the camera, broadcast live on Sky, and you can finally relax. Yeah, and, and it goes back to something Charlie asked me before about, you know, keeping contacts and keeping relationships good, particularly with clubs, because you're not just going to need all of these contacts during the transfer window. This is uh, an evolving relationship that you have to maintain throughout the year because it's not just going to be about a transfer story. It could be about a managerial change. It could be about a potential interview that you want to do. It could be about doing an interview with somebody but trying to do something different in that interview. And they're probably going to be more receptive if you've built up a relationship with them. So as opposed to just doing, oh, let's just do a sit down. Oh, can we actually just do a walk and talk or maybe go to training so it's a little bit more relaxed? And because you've built up a relationship, something, things like that, you might be able to get over the line as opposed to if you haven't maintained that relationship before. So it's always, you know the deal, it's always about maintaining relationships with people because you just never know when you're going to need them and when they're going to need you as well. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's always play the play the game, play the long-term game, never stitch people up, treat people well and they'll treat treat you well too. Yeah. Which is how you come round to getting good stories like this Declan Rice, Arsenal's record bid of, of 90 million quid. We don't know whether that's going to come off or not, but could you tell us, Stumps, as well about some other transfer news involving Arsenal, Chelsea? I know you're well-connected at both clubs. There's people like Kai Havertz, Thomas Partey, Moises Casado from, from Brighton. Is Balogun staying or going? Lawrence Williams, thanks for that question about Balogun, by the way. Um, yes, I mean, with regard to, to Arsenal and in particular incomings, generally an overview, you can tell that they want to be really ambitious. And by the looks of it, they want to get their business done as quickly as possible. Yes, they're willing to wait to make sure they pay what they believe to be the right valuation as far as they're concerned but if you go back to last summer and I know Arsenal fans will be disappointed about the end of the season but if you I know it's this whole in hindsight but if you told Arsenal fans at the end of last season that you're going to be in a title race and you're going to end up finishing second you're going to be qualifying for the Champions League with games to spare they probably wouldn't have believed you but part of the reason I think that they managed to do that is because a lot of their business was done so early. They pinpointed the players that they wanted and they got their deals done so that by the time pre-season came along, Mikel Arteta was able to work with these players from the the get-go. Exactly that. And I think if they can do that again, because now they are in a market and look, players like Jesus and Zinchenko, you know, they are... A-list players and you'd be going for them whether you're in the Champions League or not I mean they'd want to go to a club that's in the Champions League but imagine the market that Arsenal can be dealing in this time not only have they been in a title race not only have they brought in those players when they were in the Europa League last summer this time they can go up to these players look at all these players we've bought look at the title race we were involved in look at what we're building but here we go, Champions League music at the Emirates and you'll be, you'll be in that team when that happens. So it's such a carrot for these players to come and I think Arsenal will find themselves in a good position, particularly if 
they can get the deals done as quickly as they did last time. And, and there's been a, a lot of talk about Declan Rice being the priority signing. Um, is that still the case, or is there? Yeah. Obviously, as we said, there's a lot of Who names. Yeah, there's been a lot of names it, floating about. So. It looks like the, the the primary focus is on Declan Rice and Kai Havertz. Those those are the two that they seem to be pushing more than most at the moment. But there's also another position that they want to strengthen in as well, and that's in central defence. They had that issue last season when uh, William Salibar was injured for for the last quarter mm. of last season. It did affect them. Um, it wasn't the only reason that they, you know, didn't end up winning the league, but it would have been a contributory factor as to why they didn't. I think they want to strengthen in all areas of the pitch so that Arteta has got a squad that whatever the game and whatever team he picks, the, the drop-off from anyone missing a game is not going to be big. So somebody like a Urian Timber is, is a player that they're looking at. There's some reports that there's been a bid already that's been rejected, but I'm told that talks are positive and there's encouragement that Arsenal are receiving from the Havertz camp, from the Rice camp and from the Timber camp that they do want to join the club. So that can only be a good thing for Arsenal yeah. because it can only help them when they're trying to negotiate a fee with a club. Of course, a selling club is going to be very stubborn and try and get the, the valuation that they feel, which is typical transfer, transfer jargon anyway. But for a player to want to come to the club, that can only be good for someone like Mikel Arteta. You've been to so many of his news conferences and he always says, I've never <laughs> been interested in a player that didn't want to come to Arsenal. Mm. He's always put that out there. And I think he's finding that the players that they're going for because of the project that he's building there, they do want to come so, to the so club. So these Timber and Rice stories, particularly, uh, sorry, Timber and Havertz, particularly yeah. because they sort of come out of the blue a bit for yeah. a lot of Arsenal fans. Yeah. Declan Rice was a target, it seems, you know, yeah. well into last season. Casado yes. was, you know, bid loads of money in January. But Havertz and Timber, I've never even heard of Timber until this morning. Well, I nearly fell over. Yeah, Havertz in particular. I mean, <laughs> yes. for a lot of Arsenal fans I've seen on Twitter and across social media, it was the biggest shock. Yeah. Because, again, Arsenal have built up quite a good relationship with Chelsea over the years yeah. and the same with Manchester City now. But Kai Havertz coming out of the blue, mm. I mean, they signed him for £75.5 million, yeah. pound, which I mean, is a lot of money. Chelsea will want to recoup the majority of that money. Arsenal will not want to be paying £75 million, pounds, particularly because they're getting noises that the player wants to join. Mm. And they can almost play on the fact that Priority number one for Mauricio Pochettino appears to be streamlining that squad. We all know he likes to work with a squad of around 24, 25 players. You're looking at a squad at Chelsea that's 35 huge, players plus. Huge. It's too so many. You're looking at maybe 10 to 15 players leaving. So will that have an impact, you wonder, on their negotiating when it comes to trying to negotiate a price and how much they would want for a play and how much a club would be willing to play, pay because a, a buying club that goes to Chelsea will be looking at their situation thinking, well, maybe we can get a few million off here simply because of the situation that yeah. they find themselves in. Can you tell us a bit more about the situation at Chelsea? Because it looked like, you know, as you say, Pochettino is trying to cut the squad, but they also yeah. need to get some money back, don't they? Because yeah. they've spent so, so, so much money. And it looks like the Saudi clubs are coming in. It seems quite complicated. How do you cut through that? And what can you tell us about that situation? Do you know what? When you look at Chelsea's transfer window, particularly the number of players that they've got, and we all know that they need to streamline that squad, but it just seems now this the, the Saudi element 
of this summer's transfer window in particular, and we know it's been building in the last couple of windows, this could be manna from heaven for Chelsea because it's always very difficult for clubs to be able to sell players, release players, particularly if they're on big contracts and they'll be like, well, I don't need to go anywhere because I'm on X hundred thousand pounds a week. Whereas Saudi have come in and they want to make their mark. And so, you know, we're talking about not players who are 33, 34 Young plus. Young players, yeah. We're talking about players who are, you know, still roundabout at their peak, who are getting very attracted by the Saudi project. And if you look at it, Edward Mendy is one. Chelsea goalkeeper. That looks like it. it is very, very close to a Saudi club. You're looking at... Um, N'Golo Kante. N'Golo Kante, but he would be a free free agent. Mm-hmm. Aubameyang, uh, is that one? Aubameyang is another one. That, that there's lots of talks with Saudi clubs, but he's got interest from other clubs as well, like Barcelona, who didn't really want to let him go in the first place right. to Chelsea. Uh, there are a couple of others as well, if I'm, I'm off the top of my head, I can't remember. Oh, um, Kaladu Koulibaly. Mm. Now, we know that Inter Milan were interested in Koulibaly and Lukaku, but they wanted to do loan deals. Chelsea got no plans to allow these players to go on loan. The later it goes, they might be forced into doing something like that. But so early in the window, no, we want to do permanent deals for these players. So the Saudi one is a potential one for Kaladu Koulibaly. Romelu Lukaku, the noises we're getting there is he still feels he's got plenty to offer European football. Yeah. Inter Milan do want him. They want to do a loan. No plans for Chelsea to do that at the moment. So let's see if they can come to some sort of agreement whereby there can be some sort of transfer fee because, you know, they, they're going to have to take a big hit whatever they sell or loan Lukaku out for given that they spent 90-odd million on him in the first place. So do we think Pochettino will get a, a big say in this? Because it seems before the new sort of ownership structure at Chelsea that players were coming in a bit sort of left, right and centre without Graham Potter perhaps knowing... Mm. Well, having great saying who was coming in. Presumably he's going to want to sign some players as well as seeing all these... With the Pochettino situation, he has been approached by Chelsea before and he didn't go for whatever reason before. Now, was one of the reasons he didn't go before, you'd have to ask, because of the transfer situation. And has that slightly changed when he went back in with Chelsea for talks? Was he getting reassurances that he would have a say in what goes, what comes in and what doesn't come in and what goes out as well? But we know that he wants to streamline the squad. But we also know that he wants to bring in some of his own players as well. So potentially, are we looking at maybe a goalkeeper? Are we, are we looking at a midfielder? Are we definitely looking at a striker? And Kunku's coming in. We know that. that that's been announced today. That was another story, £52 million. That was been, that's been in the pipeline for, for much of last year, but that is now official. So he'll be a Chelsea player. They'll want to, to recruit in the striking department as well because it doesn't look like Lukaku's got a future there. Aubameyang doesn't look like he's got a future there. Kai Havertz, who is playing in the number nine, probably not his position. It looks like he might be going to Arsenal. So big gap there for, for Chelsea to fill. And the striker position for Chelsea has been something that's been mm. a real problem for many, many years. Um, I think the, the best striker I could think of before that was probably Diego Costa, the, the year they won the league as well. And you, the amount of strikers they've had in that position, one being Samuel Eto'o when he came in the tide. You had Lukaku, they spent a lot of money on. And, and now obviously Aubameyang as well. But is that going to be a priority position, do you think, 100%. out of anything? 
100%. It has to be because they had issues scoring goals full stop. They had someone like Aubameyang in the squad who they didn't use, mm. who is a number nine. Whatever was happening on training, we don't know. We're not privy to that. But obviously he wasn't, wasn't even in the picked. Champions League squad, no, was he? Wasn't, wasn't getting picked by more than one manager. Graham Potter wasn't picking him, and um, Frank Lampard wasn't picking him either. So every expectation that he's going to leave because he won't be part of the plans is not the kind of profile Pochettino's looking for. Anyways, you know, someone in his thirties to lead the line. I don't think that's how Pochettino would want to start his reign at Chelsea. So. Definitely going to be a priority position yeah. for him. And, and as well, Mason Mount, one man that's been the, the biggest talk in terms of outgoings, I think, in, in Chelsea. A, a player that's sort of come through the ranks. Um, it's quite, is it quite sad as well to see him go? Because, again, he's almost like a, a little homegrown player. And it's not nice when you see players like that leave. Because he didn't really get much of a look in, did he, under, he under Graham Potter? Well, linked with Manchester United. Well, more was than that... linked. More than linked. I think that I mean, he's only got a year left on his contract. There have been talks over a new contract and... Nothing has come come of those talks with regard to him staying at the club. Chelsea, we think, want around £70 million for him. But United, we know, are definitely interested. They've been in with one bid and you can tell by the size of their bid the kind of money that United are looking to spend on, on Mason Mount. They started at 40 Dismissed out of hand. Rejected immediately. Those were the two phrases I was given when that bid went in. But every expectation that Manchester United will go in with a higher bid, they'll just probably do it not going straight up towards that £70 million mark. They want to find some sort of compromise between their first bid and what Chelsea would want. Because they can play on the fact, like I said before, Chelsea need to release players. He's only got a year left on his contract. Chelsea need to be a little bit careful with this one because if they continue to say no, no, no to every United bid that comes in, there will come a point where Manchester United, they are looking at other targets as well, as every big club would do. They've got to do due diligence because they know how difficult number one transfers are, but in particular when you're dealing with another Premier League club and the amount of money that's at stake when you're dealing with a Premier League club. So if they were to pull out and he doesn't sign a new contract, then Mason Mount is then six months away from being able to sign a pre-contract agreement with a club outside England and a further six months away from being able to go anywhere in the world for no money at all. And I don't think Chelsea want to take that risk. So it looks like something could happen in this transfer window with United when we expect them to go back in with a higher bid and then the negotiations will really kick in. United is another very complex situation. One of our haters TV subscribers, Stephen Peter, wants to know all about what's going on at Man United. Shout he says, can you ask Darmes about Man United? The takeover situation, is the Mount deal still on? Well, it looks like it very much is. And, and Harry Kane. There's obviously the, the takeover talk at Man United. This, this has been a talk going on for many, so, many years, hasn't it? Every season towards the end of it. In an ideal scenario, Manchester United particularly the manager, the recruitment team, would have wanted this takeover done well in advance of the summer transfer window. And what are we? We're already a week into this transfer window and no sign of this takeover happening. It's a massive deal. So it's going to take time. But the issue that United have got probably would be is does Eric Ten Hag actually know how much he's going to be able to spend against the backdrop of whether this takeover is going to happen or not. Now, I was at the FA Cup final and after the final, he was in his news conference, Eric Ten Hag, and he was specifically asked that question. Do you have a plan A and do you have a plan B 
on your transfer policy whether this takeover happens or it doesn't happen. And publicly, he's saying all the right things. He says, I've got a plan. That's it. I've got a plan. I'm sticking to that plan. But you'd have to think that there is going to be, that plan is going to be impacted because of this takeover. Now, at the start, you know, two two months ago, we were talking about Harry Kane being a real live target for Manchester United. That looks increasingly unlikely now, simply because of the stance Tottenham are taking. Tottenham, priority number one, they don't want to sell Harry Kane, least of all to a Premier League club. So you've got to look at this from Tottenham's perspective and Harry Kane's perspective. So you've got a situation with Tottenham, their number one priority would be Harry Kane signs a new contract and he becomes a lifer for the rest of his career at Tottenham Hotspur. That's priority number one. Talks are ongoing, we think, over a new contract, but still no resolution with with that. Now, the other two options potentially that they've got is if they are going to sell him in this window, they'd want, you know, £100 million for him, but they'd want him to go to a club outside England. There was all this noise about Real Madrid, and it seems it would fit. Karim Benzema has just left the club. Harry Kane looks like the kind of profile of player that would walk straight into that team. The other option that could happen is Harry Kane doesn't sign a new contract at Tottenham but he stays at the club and then you're in a situation where he can go for free next summer Tottenham might look at that and think we could take a calculated risk here let's keep him and let him get used to what Ange Postacoglu's doing and if he sees enough ambition from the club and enough from Ange Postacoglu to think hold on I could still fulfill some ambitions that I've got at Tottenham then they could use that season to try and convince him to stay it is a high risk strategy of course because there's always that risk at the end of the season that he goes for no money at all from Harry Kane's perspective and this is something you have to ask him how important is the Premier League goal scoring record it seems to be very important Mm. to him He's on 213. He's 47 goals behind Alan Shearer. Could he leave Tottenham and go to Real Madrid for three seasons potentially and still come back to the Premier League and break that record? You wouldn't bet against that. Is that something he'd be willing to do? He's got a young family. They're settled in in London. This is exactly what I was going to ask because I think a lot of people necessarily don't understand and I'm sure and being an expert like yourself you you can explain to the viewers but there are a lot of factors that come into a transfer and it isn't just a football decision. Uh, I think a a lot of that let's let's go back to Jack Grealish signing for Manchester City he was sort of um and ah in maybe three four years at Aston Villa because he was the man there and he wanted to he was a Villa boy and he had a family there he doesn't really I know it's not exactly the furthest sort of distance you've got to travel between Birmingham and Manchester but it's still a factor that comes in it comes into it and Harry Kane has got kids as well he's got a wife um, I'm not quite sure how old they are but again if he was for was to go abroad that's a massive decision for him to make yeah so these even factors to go even to go outside London mm. would be a massive decision you, you know th- there's lots of people asking the question I'm just going back to Declan Rice if Manchester City were to come in and make a bid people are saying well it's a no-brainer he would go to Manchester City and not to Arsenal but it's not, as you mentioned, it's not as easy as that. It's not just a football He's got decision. a young child as well. He's in London. Mm. How important is that for him to remain where he is? Because he, you know, he 
for we know he, he's completely yeah. settled in London and that's one of the factors as well as the ambition that Arsenal are showing as well as how he rates Mikel Arteta as well as when he looks at the squad at Arsenal and thinks they got that close last season if I go they added a couple of other players could win the title here still Who's think, to say think, that's uh, not going through his I head? I think Arsenal fans may be watching the England 7-0 match uh, <laughs> last night when Saka scored. Rice was right in there celebrating. I noticed that as well. I, I, I see something well. on on uh, Instagram as well. I don't know if you noticed it. So Rice had put up a photo of of him and Saka, a nice little selfie, saying that Rice, uh, was Saka was on fire. And Saka had replied in the comments, make yeah. of it what you will, but two love hearts. Do you know what two colours they were? Red, Red and, white. and white. Oh, there you go. Charlie, make of that, make of it what you will. Well, but I'm sure Arsenal fans will be reading Agent Saka. Agent Saka. Yeah. But going, going back to that, again, players as well come into, uh, come into the, the, this, the factor of making that decision as well. Again, if Rice was to come to Arsenal, lots of England players now in, in the Arsenal camp, Ben White, Aaron Ramsdale, Bakayo Saka, Emil Smith-Rowe, Eddie Nketiah, the list goes on. So again, these factors are huge in sort of almost persuading or giving them advice on what Arteta's like, the way he coaches these are factors as well mm. of course and if you look this is not just something that Arsenal have been looking at this summer it's not something oh let's go for Declan Rice they've been pursuing him you know they, they went in for him in January but they knew then that it was impossible for them to sign Declan Rice in January simply because West Ham at the time were in a relegation battle they still had chances in the Europa Conference League and both of those ended really positively and it, for David Sullivan to come out after the final, the day after, to Literally say that he's after. probably played his last game for the club, all of those ingredients would, would suggest that, you know, he's going to leave. That's not to say West Ham will not dig their heels in and get the valuation that they believe Declan Rice is worth. But I'm sure Arsenal will be looking at all of those factors and particularly the encouragement they might be getting that Declan Rice wants to go mm. to the club. All of these can be factors when you, you're negotiating a price. You know, you know, we're talking about maybe they want 100 million or 120 million. There's various ways you can get to that amount. Now, if you're dealing, I've noticed, if you're dealing with clubs abroad, sometimes French clubs in particular, like I bring the Nicolas Pepe deal into focus here. It was a 72 million pound transfer, but they were happy to have that, £72 million spread over the, the duration of his contract because French clubs normally need the money. Mm. And when they see a Premier League club, in, in fact, even German clubs, Italian clubs, Spanish clubs, when they see a Premier League club coming in for their player, they think we can raise the price here. Whereas if you're dealing Premier League club to Premier League club, they aren't under so much pressure to say, well, we'll take it in instalments. They are like, well, no, of that 90 million that Arsenal are going to offer, we want the majority of that up front and we want the rest of it to be in achievable add-ons. The conditions of the add-ons are as important sometimes as the initial fee. So West Ham United say they want 100 to 120 million pounds worth of transfer fee for Declan Rice. They would want all of that to be achievable. So at some point, the £100 million will be paid by Arsenal if it's going to go that high. And on the flip side, as much as Arsenal will want to keep the price down, if, say, they agree on £110 million, for argument's sake, mm -hmm. including add-ons, if Arsenal end up paying £110 million, 
I think, in a way, they'll be happy because all of those conditions will have been met. Like, that that would include example, appearances, could be trophies, could be anything. So, if 110 million pounds exchanges hands, there's very, very strong chance that Arsenal will have been successful on the pitch with Declan Rice. And as well, you, sorry, Nick, you you, you talk okay. about the the add-ons as well. Uh, you talk about the, the fee, and Premier League clubs just wanted to talk the, the money up front, but that is as well because they want to reinvest it as quick 100%. as they can. Because let's say Arsenal take a player from Chelsea, yeah. well, Chelsea that is a competitor as such. So they need yeah. to get that money straight away and reinvest. And on the flip side as well, as much as West Ham will be digging their heels in about getting a price for Declan Rice, they then will find they'll be in the same position that Arsenal are when they go into the market. Because if, for example, we we expect them, we think to go in for João Palinha from Fulham is one of their primary targets in midfield as a potential replacement for Declan Rice. If you are Fulham and they've just sold Declan Rice to Arsenal for a hundred odd million pounds, (laughs) <laughs> what are you going to say to West Ham? Mm. Oh, you're offering this much? No, 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 no. We know you're, you've got a bit of cash now. So how about you start giving that cash to us? And then when Fulham go into the market, if they were to sell Jalpelina, they'll find the same thing. So it just carries yeah. on like I mean, that. it sounds like this could be the... I mean, I don't know what the record is. You're probably doing it. This could be like a record transfer. It's, it, it's got that feeling. Mm. It has that feeling. Could that, Arsenal sign Rice and Casido? However unlikely that looks, you can't ever rule it out, simply because the information I'm given is that the primary focus appears to be on Rice and on Havertz, and now the Urian Timber uh, story is starting to get legs as well. But I'm told that they're keeping an eye on Moises Caicedo's situation Mm. at Brighton as well. And this is not an accident. We go back to January, we're talking about the interest in Rice. They really went for Caicedo in January. £75 million, I think, was near enough. I think the the bid was worth about 70, the second bid, which was rejected because we knew Brighton weren't there to sell. From Brighton's perspective, they had a little calculated gamble there as well because £70 million would have represented... A sixty-five million pound profit. Incredible. More yeah, than that, they incredible. only bought it for four million. Well, Brighton's pounds. projects is incredible, aren't they? Absolutely incredible. They but must be a bit fed up selling all these players. <laughs> aren't they? But yeah, but I mean, they are in that position where their recruitment is sensational, and they They've always seem the to find. Yeah. They almost seem to find a way. But what they did, they decided one, they wanted to keep him because he's a fantastic player. They were they, they, they were in the FA Cup. They were trying to get a higher position in the Premier League to get European football for the first time at Brighton. But also they knew that if he stays and he continues the form that he's shown, which he did, it's not just going to be Arsenal that are going to be interested in Moises Caicedo come the summer. Because at the time, they were the only ones who were bidding. Chelsea were interested, but they weren't putting any bids on the table. So they couldn't, you know, put Arsenal up against anyone to create that bidding war again. So come the summer... They thought there'll be more than Arsenal interested in Moises Caicedo. And it's proved that way because we're hearing that he's the number one target for three different Premier League Mm. clubs. Who's putting this information out? Brighton? (laughs) No. So you'll speak to representatives of Caicedo, people close to Caicedo, and they'll be saying there are various different clubs who are interested in the player. And Mm. as I said before, going back to the start, I can't just stick that out. No. I will go to these clubs and say, look, I've, I'm told that the Arsenal retain an interest in Caicedo. And 
if I'm getting the impression that it's n- it's not a denial, then I know that there's an element of truth to that story. Whether they can get both, completely different matter. But I think Arsenal are going to be in the market not just to bring players in, but there's also talk of midfielders potentially leaving as well. The Granite Shackle one is still expected to happen uh, by Leverkusen. Um, very optimistic that they can get that deal over the line. But I think Arsenal want an element of certainty that a midfielder or two are coming into the club. Not necessarily signed and sealed, but an element of certainty that they will be coming in, for example, Rice, before they sanction that move for Shaka. It's funny, isn't it? Because me and Nick covered the last day of the season when Arsenal played Wolves. And I spoke to Mikel Arteta after the game. And of course, he was in high spirits. Granite Xhaka scored two goals as well. There was lots of banners flying around saying farewell, Granite. Mm. Uh, he got taken off as well. And like, I think... 65th, 70th minute, um, which never really happens with Granite Jacker. Um, got a round of applause, and it was just all seemed to be the perfect ending. Um, to which my opening question to Mikhail was um, So, this is Granite's last game, and if you've watched the clip, it went quite viral, by the way. Uh, Mikhail turns around and says, You know that. You know that he's leaving then. Mikhail, as we know, is someone down, that's very, he? very, uh, until it happens. Like, it will not give you sort of any sort of exclusives where you want them. Um, could you see maybe if let, let's say if Rice doesn't come in, could you see Granite stand at the club then, or is this uh, oh, something that he? The, the is issue that Arsenal leaving? have got here is he, he's into his thirties now and he's got a year left on his contract. What they would be offering him compared to what we believe the German club are offering is a different length of contract, and at his age, he probably wants more certainty and more longevity in the contract that he's going to receive. And you can understand it from both sides because Arsenal want to start bringing in younger players and you can't put someone who's 30 years old on a three, four-year contract. It doesn't usually happen at Arsenal. There are exceptions, of course. But going back to what you said when you were trying to get that exclusive out of Arteta, (laughs) if you look at it from a club perspective, though, it's not in Mikel Arteta's interest to say that it is his last game mm. because, you know, it's a bit far-fetched, but, you know, West Ham can then suddenly say, oh, well, you're even more desperate then to get mm. Declan Rice because mm. you've said that Granit Xhaka's leaving. No, no, we haven't. He's not leaving. Mm. He's not leaving. Publicly, he's not leaving. Privately, there's all sorts of negotiations going on behind the scenes, but you can't give that public persona that someone's leaving to give that advantage to... A selling club because the selling club will f- pick on anything to try and raise the price of their player. And the clubs are well connected too. There must be stories. I mean, we're talking about we're talking about playing, paying respect to our contacts and, and playing the long game and treating people mm. well. And that this picture above me is this is Reg Hater. If you want to know why Haters is called Haters, it was founded by Reg Hater in 1955. And one of his great life lessons really to treat people well, treat them as you would treat yourself. Yeah. And uh, I just wonder whether there was um. Stories together. I just want here's a here's a transfer story that never came out. Okay, oh, here we go. This is an Arsene Wenger Arsenal story. I don't know if that's this is him admiring a top top striker in training. Now he wanted to sign it. Can you? Is that being envisioned? Yeah. Now, I don't know if you remember this um, striker. This is about a good twenty years ago. 
Um, Honestly. Yeah, it is me, see? <laughs> let, let me tell you something, right? When I first joined Haters, uh, this was one of the first stories that it's I heard. One, so I you, you're all living the same sort of dream as I am. <laughs> didn't make the wall, no? <laughs> <laughs> no, but, no, it didn't, didn't make the wall, no. But it's the one that got away. I mean, he, he, we couldn't agree terms. I was a bit slow and old. And 100 million? He didn't offer me enough cash, really. And... Uh, we just, you know, we, we agreed to sort of go our separate ways and I just play five aside for the fat dance. <laughs> That's where my probably natural place is. But you must be stories where you've just, they sort of got away or didn't come off or, you know, can you, any, any good sort of yarns about that sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, you see Arsene Wenger there. Mm. You, the number of times that we've heard him in news conferences saying Cristiano Ronaldo, mm-hmm. that, that was one that got away. Um, Zlatan Ibrahimovic was another but Mexican. one of the biggest ones was Me. the Yaya Toure one when he had a trial in the game against Barnet and if you look at the footage he didn't play that well no. in the trial and they ended up not going for him and then yeah, look what happened that was a mistake yeah well apparently he didn't pull his weight in the training and he sort of said well look take me or leave me you know I'm, I'm Yaya Toure even though he wasn't a sort of fully formed world class player at, the, at yeah. the time I mean you talk about you know when you're keeping contact information you haven't yeah used but it and then it's happened this is happened. when you've got to be careful as well though because you get to that point where like i said before you know which one which people and contacts you can trust i always have a red flag when i hear a contact say to me i've got 10 clubs interested in this player and the first thing that comes into my head is who's the 11th club that you're trying to push to get this deal done because it's in his interest or her interest to have 10 clubs interested in their player to to make the the club that they're really trying to sell to we better get a wriggle on then because so they're using you effectively they can sometimes yeah but you've got to you know you've got to play the game a little bit there as well and if there is genuine interest, then we would report that genuine interest as well. Where, how much influence that has on a buff, we, we don't know. You know, mm. clubs, I'm sure, are very, very, you know, they're, they're very astute in their dealings. They will do things their way. But there are occasions when transfers are played out more and more now on social media and in the media that certain clubs are thinking, who's briefing who here? Who's briefing this? Because this is not an accurate representation of what we actually want to do. And so it can influence fans as well, because you see it on social media, oh, Arsenal, just get the deal done. Mm. What are you waiting for? Just pay the 120 million. Hold on, we, we've got a valuation here. 120 million might not be our valuation. So we are comfortable where we are. We know how much we can afford and we've got other targets that we need to have money for because we can't just keep spending Mm. spending spending because we have our budget for this summer so it can't just be if 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 clubs listen to everything that happened on social media they'd be spending a billion Mm. every single transfer window Mm. what i I, I want to ask now is um because these are the sort of questions i know you guys have been sticking in the comments down below um so i'll speak for you um is who do you think in the premier league is going to be the biggest spender so we go top three of course i mean chelsea have (laughs) have been sort of way in front of everyone the last two windows but um but yeah who would you rank maybe who's going to be the the third most amount of money spent would you say i I don't think it's going to be not in this window chelsea i think they've done 
something unique in the last two transfer windows, which you'd expect a club to do over a number of transfer windows, but they wanted to get a load of business done in two transfer windows, spending close to £600 million, and then worry about, right, we need to start selling these players. It's a lot of money. It's a bit of a position, though, because, you know, if you've got a European club, not so much a Saudi club, but a European club or a Premier League club who want to buy their players, they feel that they can negotiate a bit more. I mean, we've spoken about them already. I think Arsenal will be up there. The most? It's difficult to say the most they'll be up there mm. spending the most and I think they want to be ambitious and I think they want to back Mikel Arteta but simply because of the players that they're going for and the position they're in now as well yeah and I mean if you're looking at Havertz and Rice on their own you're looking at the thick end of 150 million mm. there that's a lot of money that's just those two players mm. you bring Urien Timber into the equation that could be another 40 million if they can compromise on a fee so you're already touching 200 million. There aren't going to be many teams who are going to be spending more than 200 yeah, million the, pounds the in this the window. The richest clubs now are Newcastle United, Saudi Money, and Manchester City. And we they, haven't even spoken shot, about them then. Uh, they yeah. Yeah. Surely yeah. they can blow everyone well, out of the water. Can't they? they could, but the thing with City is they seem. What they do kind of reminds me a little bit of what. Manchester United did at their pomp under Sir Alex Ferguson. It was never really a revolution hmm. every summer. It was more an evolution, like maybe one or two or three players leave, one or two or three players come in. It's never like six have gone and eight come in. They've got to that stage where they're just tinkering with that squad. One position here, one position there. Newcastle United is, is the interesting one because they're the ones who've got the new money now. But they seem to be doing it in an organic way, particularly under the, the stewardship of, of Eddie Howe. They haven't really gone out and said, we're going to be spending £100 million on a player. They have their valuations of players. They have the personal terms and the wages that they'd want to pay a player. And it, at the moment, they're not really moving outside of that. You know, they're, they seem to be negotiating even now on, on James Madison. They don't want to overpay, whereas Leicester City will be thinking, even though they're in the championship and that might bring the valuation down, when they feel they're dealing with like a Newcastle United, they will feel that they can go higher with their transfer with their, with their transfer fee, whereas Newcastle United do not want to be used in that way. They've got their valuation. They don't want to be used in a way just because all of this money is there. It doesn't necessarily mean we're going to be spending it do you think they'll in get a stupid Madison? manner. It appears it's going to be between Newcastle and Tottenham. And if, I think a big factor will be where Madison wants to go, as well as a transfer fee, of course. Two ends of the country as well. Again, that's a factor. It is, but you've got a situation where Newcastle United can offer Champions League football or you can be part of a project, a new project under Ange Postacoglu and we don't know those kind of talks that go on behind mm. the scenes, how convincing these talks are for a player. We, we just look at it from, out, from the outside. Of course he's got to go to Newcastle mm. because they've got Champions League football. But there's other factors they need to think about. But these are the differences between the factors being the club being the pool and the manager being the pool. And I think we've seen that over the years with massive clubs. For example, Manchester United. 
you've got the club as a stature as Manchester United, one of the biggest clubs or the biggest clubs in the world in terms of fan base. And necessarily their position in the league and in Europe hasn't been ideal really in the last few years. But now you've got a manager like Eric Ten Hag who's mm. set a project just like Mikel Arteta at Arsenal who will speak to the player and well and address what their project is, what their situation is and where they fit into their project. Yeah. That's a huge factor as well. 100%. I mean... Sir Alex Ferguson was the master of that, wasn't he, back in the day? Mm, absolutely. He'd yeah. find out all he could about the player. He'd know his parents' names and all that kind of thing. I've read yeah, about that, yeah. All of this kind Personal of touches, yeah. Exactly. And so when, can you imagine if you were a player and Sir Alex Ferguson speaking to you and he's trying to convince you to join the club and he's found out mm. various things about you. I'm sure there'll be an element of that with the likes of Arteta and Ten Hag and Klopp and Pep Guardiola as well. They're saying they desperately want you. Be hard to resist that. Hundred percent. Th- I think. I mean, are there any other subjects we want to talk about? Any other players? We haven't talked about Liverpool at all. The newly promoted clubs, and the, the, I mean, there's probably we could talk all day, but we we haven't got all day. We've got, <laughs> you've got to get back yeah. to getting on the transfer news <laughs> and and grooves and tell people what's going on. But um, I think we've pretty much covered everything, haven't we, Charlie? It's I been, think we it's have. Been a really fascinating chat to have you in, Dominic. These are Thierry Henry's boots, by the way. He's the mm. one. That yeah, if you have been wondering, he's the what one that Arsene signed instead of me. What could I do? I think to to wrap up as well, though, if this is okay with you, I want to do a, a real quick fire. I'm gonna I'm gonna Uh-oh. say a name and a team, and in your personal opinion, just need a uh, if you think they're gonna happen. So maybe a yes, no, or a maybe. Okay. Try not There's to say may- maybe. Sorry. Try not to say maybe for every single one. But from what you've what you've heard of already, so we'll, we'll start listing a few names. Let's start with the big one being Declan Rice. Is this a deal that yes? No or maybe in your opinion? Arsenal? Yes. Yes. There we go. That's the first one. Mason Mount, Manchester United. What's just below in a yes but above a maybe? Okay. So like, we like this <laughs> game because you, you get more of probably. an answer out of it. Probably. <laughs> probably. <laughs> um, Harry Kane to Manchester United. No. Well, there we go. See, we've not had a maybe yet so this is okay. Uh, Kai Havertz to Arsenal from Chelsea? Very possible. Very <laughs> probable. <laughs> Moises Casado. Are we going to see a Ricedo at Arsenal? Maybe, maybe not. More, <laughs> there we more go. Between the no and okay, maybe. Yeah. Um, what else have we I got? I think Caicedo. The noises I'm hearing is is more Chelsea with Caicedo. Interesting. You can listen a few names if you if you want to if you've got there. Well, I just, I just wonder what's going to happen with players uh, like Jordan Pickford. Jordan Pickford yeah. is he going to be leave, leaving Everton? Do you think? I mean, he's publicly saying all the things that he's happy at Everton. But you've got to look at their financial situation. If a bid came in for him, would Everton be able to resist it or not? James Madison to... Because I've heard more likely Newcastle early on. But I know Spurs have been up there. Every single day, I've heard... One or the other. He's leaning towards Newcastle. He's leaning towards Tottenham. He's leaning towards... This is a call I have to make later on today, which I'm trying to get information. So I don't want to commit. <laughs> Do we on that think one. Ilk Gundogan will start the season at Manchester City? Oh, yes, no, or maybe. <laughs> um, Not asking where he's going. I think, yeah, is he going to leave? Because obviously his contract is. is coming well, I mean, is he going to start the season at Man City? Yeah. Yes. Well, if he starts the season at Man City, he'll have signed a new contract, right? Because if he's out of contract, mm-hmm. so it's a very difficult one that because. City want to keep him and I think this is a a, there's a lot of players I'm trying to fudge this one now there are a lot of players who have been linked with moves away from City I just wonder if you get in the heads of those players what's their thinking at the moment Mm. 
is it I've just done the treble what is it and, and I want to do it again and again and again with City or I've done the treble it's not going to get better than this so maybe a new challenge it, this is the right time for a new challenge you know looking at the likes next of, question carry on you know, the <laughs> likes of you know Kyle Walker yeah. you're looking at um, who, who's leaning towards wanting to stay at City and sign a new deal Bayern Munich are interested in him Bernardo Silva as well Bernardo Silva but Bernardo Silva this every single summer for the last two mm. three summers there's been links with him leaving I just wonder whether this is the the summer where he actually does leave City will not stand in the way of players if they want to leave but they will ensure that they get the right price for that player okay Pep Guardiola mm. because he's done everything at City he's a bit like the players too there was rumblings before he, he might be leaving he's, he's had he's, I mean, he has his longest ever spell hasn't he at one club that's yes. been at City do we think he will be in charge of Manchester City come August at the start of the next season? Yes, I think so, yeah. Slight element. No, 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 no. <laughs> I just want to <laughs> give myself wriggle room, don't I? <laughs> yes, yes, I think. This, okay. this is, this, these questions, man, this cheeky. You didn't ask me about this. This has just got all the elements of we can, we can just cut going out. wrong. No, but going in, wrong in, in all fairness, I'll it's say, and then yeah. something didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. No. But do people do that to you? Do you get a lot of stick on Twitter and socials? <laughs> I think that's a yes not a maybe of course of course and what do you do with it? how do you handle that do you read it or well I just mainly my replies are less of the bald mate <laughs> because I'll add an expletive after the bald oh do they they're the nice but, ones but you look great with that oh, you look younger say, look, I, I mean you say. get grey hair like me you know and in all fairness the reason why I asked Darmish is because no no it's, oh, listen the game's <laughs> the game but at the same time Darmish there, there are it's all the views are your own this is the research that you do the, the information that you can give and we said right yeah. at the start these are information that are checked one two three times so yeah. some of them I I'm just opinions opinion. yeah of course yeah. opinions well, I think, like me and, and, and situations can change like, like exactly like that but I think uh, that is all we have got time for. We've been here a long while, but hopefully you guys have enjoyed. So please, please, please make sure you do drop a like, uh, subscribe, and also hit the notification bell. And if you're watching across all of our social media platforms as well, please do drop a follow. And one last question I'd like to ask. Drop in the comments who you want to see on the podcast next. We have some really exciting names on the list, which you'll find out very, very soon. But I want to say thank you to Dom. Just very quick, I just want to say thanks to Nick because a lot of people don't know that uh, way, way back, this was in the mid-90s, I was doing uh, a summer job at the exam board in London. And I'd always wanted to be a sports reporter and I was chatting to a few of the other people who were working there. It was a guy called Dave Kumansing, who I was chatting to. And I said said to him, oh, he said, what would you want to do? What are you doing? I said, telling me what degree I was doing, etc. I said, I really want to be a sports reporter. And he goes, oh, funnily enough, uh, I did a bit of work experience with these guys at a place called Teamwork. And I said, oh, right, okay. And he goes, he gave me the number of Jerry and Nick, Jerry Cox and Nick Callow. So I was like, right, let me just Always right keeping the numbers. Yeah, so so I got in contact, and they gave me my first work experience. This was back. This must have been '95 or something, because it was in Hammersmith. Yeah. When haters and teamwork were se- were separate entities, Nick and Jerry were um, running teamwork, and it was incredible experience because I think I did it over two summers, and sometimes I was in the studio and I was writing, you know, stories for the program. And then on a couple of occasions, they sent me to games and said, you're doing the report for it. So I was just thrown straight in. So 
well that's an opportunity to mm. say thanks thanks for that. thanks so much. and you were always you know you get a lot of people come and work experience and you know very few just stand out it's a bit like when your manager spotting but something i've got to sign him or he will go a long way or she will go a long way and you were one of those people and it is always a pleasure to turn up at the football match or football press press conference and see you in the room you know you're going to be in safe hands and have a good time and uh, thanks for coming on guys. yeah honestly no thank problem. you so much for your time and yeah like I said if you have enjoyed the podcast please do drop yeah. a like and we'll and no we'll... nasty comments for Darmish <laughs> <laughs> don't like that but thank you so much for tuning in and we'll see you on episode 2